Every year, one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts for up to 89% off USPS and UPS services, so your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. It's like your own personal post office. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com code PROGRAM. Hello, welcome along to Soundtracking, my weekly podcast where I get to talk to an incredible creative mind about their journey um, with music and film and TV sometimes too. And uh, I absolutely love making this podcast and I'm absolutely beyond grateful that you've chosen to listen to this episode. And we've got loads of great stuff coming up on the show in the next couple of weeks as we kind of uh, nudge towards award season. We still managed to get a few um, brilliant contenders in there before we finish. And also um, a director who is stepping into his first feature film. He's got the most amazing experience across TV, um, everything from uh, The Crown to Andor. But Ben Caron has directed his first film. It's called Sharper. It's coming out in cinemas and on Apple uh, in a couple of weeks' time. Um, We're very much looking forward to having him on the show. However, the now and the present and our latest guest on Soundtrack and is someone who we've been genuinely trying to get on for a very long time, not least because of his collaborations with our very dear friend, the wonderful Clint Mansell. Darren Aronofsky is a truly original and radical filmmaker whose latest movie, The Whale, has seen Brendan Fraser receive widespread acclaim as a reclusive English teacher who is eating himself to death. This film is pretty extraordinary actually. It's one of those experiences where you know sometimes you watch films and it's a bit like watching a beautiful piece of theatre. That's what this film is and the movement of the characters, the relationship of the characters but the fact that this pretty much this entire film is set within the living room of this guy's house. It's um, it's very, very powerful. Great performances across the board, actually, and brilliant score. And it is scored by Rob Simonson. And we'll begin with his cue, Flare Gun. I'm good. Thanks for having me. So great to get to chat to you. (laughs) Nice to see you. Yeah, we've talked about your films quite a lot on our podcast. We've Ah, had Clint on a couple of times. Lovely. Going back and, you know, talking about your older films sort of thing. But congratulations on The Whale. Thank you so much. It's really quite wonderful. It's quite an astonishing film. It really stays with you as well. You kind of find yourself thinking about so many things after watching it. Thank you. For you, 
Was it seeing the play? Did you what, what was the yeah. journey for you with the story and the characters first of all? Yeah, I saw the play about ten years ago and was just deeply moved with these characters that are just unexpected. They're in no way related to me. <laughs> Yet by the end of the play, I was just so deeply moved and. That's, for me, the greatest thing about movies is when you meet characters that you don't expect to connect with, and then you go on this journey with them, and just uh, they take you somewhere unexpected, and that's what I saw in The Whale. And in terms of what you saw of what you wanted to take to the screen, and that journey from, you know, not lifting the stage play onto the screen sort of thing, but having its own journey from from that to that, was that yeah. an interesting kind of process for you yeah. in terms of... It, it was a great challenge for for me is like how not to make the film claustrophobic and how to make it interesting and exciting. And the best compliments I get are people like kind of stunned by the time they get to the end of the film being like, oh, my gosh, that all took place in one apartment. And I'd never I, I was never bored or undistracted. And I always knew the possibility was there because we all watch plays. And when a play is really great, it, the location doesn't really yeah. matter. It's just the writing. That was the kind of goal here was to take this great piece of writing and just make it um, transport people into the performances and the emotion of the film. Yeah, you're in there. It sucks you sort of straight in. Yeah. But there are, there are things that I think are brilliant that give kind of the texture of the outside world almost outside that room and the the elements, the weather that you hear, yeah. you know, the rattling of the windows and all those kind of things. The soundscape on the film is brilliant. Thank you. Um, and matched with the music as well. And Thank you. I didn't see the play, so I don't know what and if there was any music attached to the play and if there was any sort of sound with that and how you saw music's part within the story. Yeah, I always knew music would be a really important element of it uh, because there was just so much emotion in the film. And, of course, music is a great way to sort of underline that and help and counterpoint it. And so very early on, we were um, trying to figure out how to, um, how, how to best do that. What I love about the way when we hear the first, that first cue is that it kind of really sets a tone. It's it's quite dramatic. It's quite industrial, if that's yeah. fair to say. It's got kind of a sort of drone nature to yeah. it in a way, and it's kind of it, it's it's one of the things I think that really pulls, pulls you in. in. Yeah. Well, there's also a very nautical vibe to it. Maybe that's the mechanical element. Is that we wanted to sort of play with the kind of Moby Dick metaphor <laughs> that's hanging yeah. over everything and. Uh, Rob Simonson, our composer, was thinking about that a lot. That first cue instantly kind of is almost kind of welcoming in a way. It's yeah. like, come in, we want to tell you the story. Like, there's also an oddness to it. You're mm -hmm. talking about that kind of that kind of note that's over the um, bus arriving and yeah. stuff, right? Yeah. It's also kind of an odd note and it's just sort of, it's ambiguous and it's the arrival of uh, the missionary. So... There's just a lot going on there, and then it just pulls you in. I thought, um, yeah, I thought I was really happy with the work Rob did.
what were the conversations you had with him? You mentioned that kind of nautical nature. Because now that you yeah. say that, you yeah. kind of almost, with that, when I mentioned that the kind of elements and the weather and stuff, yeah. you could be on a boat. Well, that was a big kind of conversation. And there's all throughout the production there's not design, there's little subtle hints at that. Even in the wardrobe, if you think about Sam Morton wearing the kind of fisherman yellow jacket yeah. to the missionary wearing an old pea coat. There's a lot of that going on. Um, and, the, of course, how the weather works uh, was was similar as well. What was it about Rob's work that he was the right man for this job, first of all? Well, to be c- clear, uh, what happened first is I hired a different composer. Mm-hmm. And he, was, he, he had never filmed a score. He was very, an incredible composer, just incredible incredible artist mm. but he had never written a film yeah. and it i i did learn through this process that it's a different job being a a composer for operas and other types of music versus actually film writing which is a different skill we worked really hard to try to get him into the mindset of of what's involved in yeah. scoring a movie so much so that for the first time i actually did work with a music editor to place some music as kind of signposts it ended up not working because it was it was it was just a different art form but when i looked at what a lot of the music that we placed in it a lot of it was written by rob in past films oh wow so (laughs) that's how i found rob i was like oh we're actually already using his music so clearly aesthetically He's in the wheelhouse of what yeah. we're doing. But then I think he did something very different for this movie because as soon as he got on and he started to get some of his ideas, he really leaned into the nautical elements and, and took that to another level. I love his score for Fox Culture. I think that's yeah. Well, that's that was a big uh, yeah. one of the big places we were at. It's it's great though to to hear that because it's not always the case where a, a director gives a, a composer the opportunity to be different. Yeah, because sometimes composers are hard because of the way they do things. They right. go keep doing what you do, kind of thing. But it's really nice to hear that you want you're encouraging him to do something different. That you want to you want to kind of you know using a different muscle, musical muscle that he has sort of thing. That must have been really encouraging for him as well to to kind of jump into this. Yeah, I think absolutely. And um, 
it, it was a really good collaboration because I'm pretty particular and definitely make people do a lot of different takes. And he would just try lots of different things. It took a long time to figure out the musicality, what instruments. Mm -hmm. um, eventually, he stumbled on something that really – there are some great, great moments with the music in the film. Yeah. And was that driven by a combination of – character narrative emotion or always it's always comes out of the character and emotion i mean you wanted to be as um connected to the film as the wardrobe or the design yeah. or the cinematography i've always felt that um the composer is an equal contributor if and the responsibility of what it can do for yeah. for a for a scene is just um mind-blowing What's really interesting, sometimes when we've spoken to composers in the past, like Nicholas Brutel, for example, from If Beale Street Could Talk, you know, he said if it hadn't been Regina in that role, it would have been a completely different set of cues oh, for her character. Well, that's so some, interesting. Sometimes, you know, the composers get the luxury of writing to performance as well as the script sort of thing. Yeah. Was, was Rob privy to, to Brendan and... Yeah. Rob, Rob came in, as I said, later in the game because we had gone down a different path for a while. So the film was already kind of... Um, muscling up by the time he came on which was also a different process for me but we still had a lot of time to to really perfect the music yeah he did a, some crazy things one of the things that was just great is he loved these kind of i forget what they were called but these huge super long flutes that uh this guy in scandinavia built and he had something like a 20 foot long um Wow. Almost like a did you did yeah type of thing. <laughs> yeah, wow. Yeah, I love it when you hear about new instrumentation being made. Love it. Yeah, it's yeah. so great. It's like the guy uh, Simon from Avatar was having people three D make instruments that he was coming up with. Like, oh, that's amazing! Print. It's bonkers and brilliant, isn't it? So great. The un kind of never ending opportunity of what you can create with it's that. It's exciting. So good.
I was watching a couple of lovely videos that you were doing with, with some of your cast and it was really great hearing about how open you are to their input and to their, there was a great thing where you were talking about um, uh, the scene where she's kind of, uh, I was interrogating the pastor when he sat in the living room sort of thing and she knows what's going on but she kind of makes out she's not and she was kind of going, yeah, no, I, and you were like, no, you came up with that idea. And it's lovely to kind of hear how yeah. it's a it's a kind of constant moving beast almost in a way and that you're yeah. really open to how your cast feel and want to move and want to interact, yeah. want to be placed within a scene as well. Is that important to you? Yeah. You, you always start to see what other people's ideas are before you contribute your ideas. That's the most important 101 lesson I can teach every filmmaker is don't start with your idea. Just see what other people offer. And sometimes you can be really su happily surprised. It's been really lovely as well to see the response that Brendan's had to this to this film. Yeah. And, you know, so deserving as well. And just that lovely, it's been a kind of big of a succession with, with people kind of who've been not forgotten about, but kind of, you know, have kind of felt fallen into the background in a way and suddenly they get this moment to shine again as well. It's so heartwarming. Yeah, it is. And, I, you know, and I hope a lot of other people will take this as an example yeah. of kind of give people a chance. You yeah, know, definitely, definitely. What was it about him? Why Why was he right to, to cast in this? You know, people keep asking me that question and Sorry. I don't really, no, 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 <laughs> I don't have a great answer to it because it wasn't like I was a student of his work. Yeah. It just, when I, when the idea of him popped up, it was an idea we hadn't thought about and we had been looking for a long time to find someone and there was just a gut feeling that there was something there and exciting. And then when I met him, it was clear he was a really sweetheart and a, and a good man that had, um, run into all these different types of uh, roadblocks over the years, yeah. but was really excited and ready to work. But then we did do a read-through of the script, which was kind of an audition. He may not have known that, but uh, <laughs> I definitely had to prove to everyone besides myself that he was it. But it was very clear from almost line one of the read-through that this guy was Charlie. When it comes to to music for you personally, you know, step aside as a filmmaker, are there scores and cues or music or films where, so I guess the, the, as a film fan growing up, that you really recognize the importance of music within the storytelling? You know, uh, it, it, it's a very good question. My son actually, from a very young age, used to say, hey, dad, why are they playing scary music now? And I realized it was just a movie that was manipulating the audience, but I was I was not aware of it. It was like a skill my son had that I um, didn't really pick up on. Yeah, I think I kind of I, the first time I see a movie, if I'm really in a movie, I rarely hear the score. Yeah, of course, like um, -na 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 -na. what's the name of that? Um, sorry, the. Um, Olympic thing. Uh, oh, Chariots of Fire. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> that one I remember. Uh, but um, but it's like, name that tune. Where, where, yeah, where it's, where it's iconic. It's, uh, name that tune with someone completely off key and tone deaf. But uh, yeah, like there are there are there are scores like that that you know, or Star Wars, or things that yeah. pop through that you become aware of. But so often I'm not really conscious of the score. And um, so I don't know if that was always an inspiration. I, from when I first started making films in film school, I was probably the only guy in my class at film school that 
found a composer to do all my pieces and I didn't use found music. Like I, I wanted to collaborate with composers from the beginning and yeah. have a score the entire way through. I think the wrestler was the first time, I mean, Clint and that maybe I think wrote eight minutes of music. It was, he, there were some elements, but the rest of it's really just hair metal yeah. because it kind of went with the yeah. piece. Uh, but otherwise, I mean, Black Swan was, the whole score was manipulated by Clint, but it came out of Tchaikovsky. Yeah. Basically, besides that, wall-to-wall music, except well, there's always an exception, <laughs> Mother, which has no score. Yeah. But um, there was uh, – I've always seen it as a huge contributor to a movie and that that was like an important person to have as like an essential department head. Well, I think like even something like – that kind of that beautiful synergy when it works, you know, in terms of the 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 story, the narrative, the performances, the music. Requiem is a great example of yeah. that, where it's just it's just yeah, we perfection. We're all, we all jamming together. It's just kind of you can't almost like have one without the other in yeah. a way. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. It's kind of like the yeah. importance of it is is so there. Yeah. With mother, what was the what was the kind of thought process on that of yeah. kind of going? Well, we you know we worked with Johan Johansson so deeply on that score, and yes. it was really a beautiful score. But it was so interesting because the second you put any type of music onto a scene, it emotionally tilted the mm-hmm. scene, and the entire film is about not knowing where the lead character, where Jennifer Lawrence's mother was. What, what she was thinking. Yeah. I wanted the audience to be off kilter and not following what she was. But as soon as you put anything like a thematic or scary or anything with anything that was, I mean, maybe free jazz might have worked or something <laughs> yeah. really that just filled the space yeah. might have worked. We never played with that. Mm. It, it suddenly tilted the film and turned it into something that was different because it, it put the audience out of the character's subjective reality. And at a certain point, me and Johan watched the film with and without music, and we kind of both agreed, hey, there are elements we could use from the music. And so there are certain instruments that are in the more in the sound design, but mm. it just worked better without it. And then the excitement of trying to do a kind of horror suspense film without a score 
when horror films rely so much on them was also really interesting yeah. uh, as a as a challenge. Well, I think it's kind of it can be more powerful sometimes to to have silence or to have something that yeah. isn't kind of engulfed by by something yeah, that you see that's going to manipulate you yeah. in a way. When you also kind of make that choice as well, because it's it's wonderful when you see kind of great storytellers sort of throw their weight to being producers and being supportive on you know on other people's productions and things like that, and being you know mentors or whatever whatever it is that, that role kind of is asks of you. How important is that side of you? Because it's, it's great to kind of, you know, when you look at you, the, the stuff that you're producing or exec producing aside from your own productions as well. Why is that important for you? You mean as a producer? Yeah. Well, I've always wanted to <laughs> give back and help. I used to think about when I was a young filmmaker writing a letter to Martin Scorsese and just sort of begging for an ep- opportunity to help. And, and I'm not asking people to write me letters right now. <laughs> But we just try to help young filmmakers that are um, doing stuff that we find inspiring. We're able to sort of do more work now. I, and when I say we, I have a company that is just really interested in doing uh, documentaries about science and about the environment and human stories. And mm. we've just been pushing that out into the world as much as we can. That's really interesting, particularly when it comes to the industry as well and how yeah. it how it kind of fits into those whole those whole conversations what's next do you know uh it's not clear what's <laughs> next there's a this year we got a lot we put a lot out into the world and um the, there's some new stuff coming soon you must be very proud of the response that the world's had though so far it's, it's great it's mostly exciting by just hearing people really choked up by the film that's been exciting you wanted to make people cry love it <laughs> Love it. Um, it's so great to chat to you. And, Thank you. and once again, congratulations on the film. I'm excited to see what's next. Thanks Thank so you. much, Darren. Thank you. Absolutely. Cheers. From the score to the whale, that's Gentle Waves rounding off this latest episode of Soundtracking with Darren Aronofsky. Uh, I must explain to you as well, I had this very strange experience where I went to interview Darren at a swanky London hotel. Now normally what they do is they remove all the furniture out of these bedrooms and they put nice chairs and things in so you have the whole room very spacious. Uh, However, on this particular day, the area by the windows that everything was set up at was very much in the vicinity of pretty intense drilling and workmen that were uh, making a lot of noise outside. So I 
found this little kind of corridor around the around the sort of the back of the room on the way to the toilet. And I was like, mm, will Darren Aronofsky be okay with sitting outside the lovely toilet in this hotel room? Anyway, he was. And it was, as you can hear, pretty good acoustics. Um, my huge thanks to Darren for taking the time to talk to us. The Whale is on general release now with Rob's score available via A24 Music. If you'd like to hear my chats with Darren's old sparring partner, Clint Mansell, along with every other episode of the podcast, please head to edithbowman.com. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We are at Soundtrack in UK. And please do fire over an email if you've got something you want to share with us or ask to info at edithbowman.com. Next up, I'm very much hoping that we are going to be joined by the wonderful Gina Prince Blythewood, who directed The Woman King, an extraordinary film with the most breathtaking and memorable performances. So, as of now, it's not recorded yet, but let's cross everything. Gina Prince Blythewood, our next guest on Soundtracking. I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then. <laughs> 